Hey there and welcome. You are listening to the Parkview Global Podcast. We are so excited for you to join the conversations between our Global Missions hosts and our amazing guests. Don't forget to follow our social media accounts at Parkview Global. Now, enjoy the podcast. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the very first episode of the Parkview Global Podcast. My name is Bill Carroll, and I am the Global Pastor at Parkview Christian Church right outside of Chicago. My co-host is Christy Mullen, uh, Parkview's Africa Coordinator. Hello, everybody. Happy to be on this journey together. Christy is the more well-spoken and thoughtful one of us. I am basically here for comedy relief. Uh, We want to invite you to follow along with us as we welcome a different one of our global partners on the podcast each month. Uh, We hope this becomes a place where you can personally get to know each of Parkview's global partners and learn about the amazing ministry they're doing in their respective countries. Uh, We'll also feature episodes that talk about current events and global missions through the voices of many different guests we have lined up. I'm really excited about it. Uh, To start things off on our premiere episode, we wanted to invite Parkview senior pastor Tim Harlow to join us. Tim is the author of two books, Life on Mission and What Made Jesus Mad. What a better way to start these monthly conversations than to have Tim kind of walk us through uh, Parkview's journey with global missions and, and to have him share some of his own pivotal moments along the way. Welcome, Tim. Hey. Good to be here. And, and I'm really, let me say, glad to do this. I mean, I'm glad you're doing it. Nice. I've thought for a long time, how do we get our people to know more about what we're doing? It's just so, so hard for us to get the word out. I mean, they know, you know, a little bit here, a little bit there. So this is great. Can't wait to see how it plays out. Love that. And Christy, welcome. Thank Yay. you. Thank you. And we are recording from Tim's backyard. So if you hear birds chirping yeah. or his neighbors yelling at her kids, yeah, yeah you'll, you'll know what's going on. <laughs> yep. That's good. All right. So Tim, let's start at the beginning. Um, would you walk us through a little bit of journey, uh, Parkview's journey of creating global partnerships around the world? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I saw that. I was thinking this through when you first asked me to do it. And, you know, the interesting thing is when I got here in 1990, the church was um, really involved in global missions. Um, and I can say that it's because they weren't involved in any local missions. And and they knew that they wanted to, you know, they knew what the heart of the church was. And so something would come along. I mean, I, you know, this is, again, the beginning. They Something would come along and they would be like, yeah, we want to support that. And, and so when I got here, they were given, you know, statistically a, a good portion of the budget to a global outreach, but they didn't really know what was being done with it. And, and you know, frankly, they, they weren't really doing much with what was going on locally. So over the course of time, and this is the MO for just about every church there is out there. It's like, oh, there's an opportunity. Let's go do that. There's, there's not a lot of strategy in the world around, around global missions. And so we kind of inherited that. And, you know, the first 10 years... Um, missions was not a, a hill I could live or die on because we had to figure out how to get our own church to figure out what its mission was. So we just kind of kept everything the way that it was. We had a bunch of great people working in there, a bunch of great volunteers. Um, we didn't take didn't take very many trips or any of that kind of stuff, but it was a you know it was a it was a well supported ministry, and um, and then. Uh, and I was working on my doctorate all through that decade of the 90s. And, you know, so like going on that that involved me going to Seattle twice a year and young family. So going on a mission trip just wasn't on my on, on my radar. And I kept telling God, you know, you know, I, I'll do it. And, you know, I, I promise just I just can't do it now. So finally, 
uh, 06, I got the opportunity to go to Kenya. Nice. And um, we'd, we'd done some other things along the way. I got the opportunity to go to Kenya and, you know, go with some other guys and just, you know, I mean, you talk about immersed into the deepest point yeah. of the well you could be in, You're taking a walk through the slums of Nairobi. The is smell just, is indescribable. It is, it is indescribable, and, and, and gut-wrenching isn't even, you know, doesn't even come close. But, um, you know, so that really was just what God needed to break my heart. And then we had somebody that had connections to a great ministry in Costa Rica. I knew that Kenya was far away, so we had a great ministry in Costa Rica, Costa Rica that we got really involved in and started taking trips multiple times a year, and it just kind of morphed from there. Um, and so, you know, and that went well until it didn't, and um, and then, you know, the, probably the big change for us was uh, Rick Warren asking me and Bill Brown to go to Rwanda with them and see what the peace plan was all about and then you know my my mind was blown we were doing a we were doing a really great job of uh, four of the five things with the with the peace plan we were doing a really good job of uh, I mean this school that we support in in Kenya I mean you've heard me talk about my son Collins you know and 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 all that kind of stuff it was it's phenomenal but they weren't working through the local churches. They, they were just helping the kids, which it, it was desperation. It was, you know, they're drowning, throw them a rope. Yep. Don't wait for a church to throw them a rope. But um, in, in the meantime now, they've figured that out also, and they're coming back and working through the churches better. Because at the end, you can keep throwing people ropes, but but you're never going to have enough ropes to throw people. So at some point, we've got we've to go, okay, here's the systemic way we're going to, to solve the problems. So that's where we're at today. That's good. Yeah. So what about your personal turning point? It was it was definitely 06. Yeah, it was definitely 06. Um, But also, Christy, it was um, probably the first Costa Rica trip we went on. And I took all three of my girls Mm -hmm. and I took my parents, you know, and uh, I mean, I don't know. I don't know when that was, but it was, you know, I mean, it was so incredible to have it was we were doing eyeglasses we took some optometrists and we collected glasses and we went down there and it was just it was just incredible and my girls you know just it it changed them so it changed me that's awesome yeah you know we live in a gosh a different world than even gosh 50 years ago yeah you know research research now 50 days ago god when (laughs) given that we're now in the middle of coronavirus and everything else going on the research shows that right now two-thirds of all the Christians in the world actually live in the global south, the mm-hmm. southern hemisphere of the earth, uh, with the strengths of global Christianity having centers in Africa, Latin America, and Asia. And those countries of the south are now sending tens of thousands of missions workers to other countries, including the United States. Right. There's a lot of missionaries coming to the United States. How has this shift affected the way that the way it used to be in global missions? Uh, it, global missions should at the core always be about helping people find Jesus. And I think that global missions in the past has sometimes fault defaulted to uh, taking care of the human needs that are there mm-hmm. at, without the end game of helping people find Jesus. Because at the end of the day, I can, I can get them clean water, I can get them clothes, I can get them food, I can get them a job, but if I don't get them Jesus, it's 
it's it's it's only part of the equation and i think that has been i think the globalization of the planet has been such that there's been you know i mean bill gates is helping solve clean water and and other people are helping whereas the church used to be the primary way that we actually help people with their human needs it's no longer that way and obviously the church still has to be about helping people with the human needs, but I think the shift that we're seeing is helping people going back to the, the end goal of helping people with their spiritual needs. And, 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 and so a very poor church in Africa or South America could send a person to the United States where we have more resources than we know what to do with mm -hmm. and affect us spiritually as a missionary in a way that um, I don't think would have been would have worked before. And, and I, I think that's I think that's the biggest paradigm shift for us is that it it can be more now and should be more now about the spiritual needs. That's good. Let's unpack that a little more. Um, when considering the new world landscape, uh, would you talk about what you see as responsibility of the churches of the global north in the Great Commission and as well as the churches of the global south? What, what do they offer each other? What, what are the parts they play? Well, I, 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 think, I, I, I think that's it. I guess I got ahead of that answer a little bit, but I, I think that's it. I think that those of us that have uh, the financial resources our understanding, because of globalization, our understanding where the rest of the world is. So if there's a hurricane in Puerto Rico, we know that it's there. Whereas, you know, when I was young, you'd hear that maybe on the news, you'd get that on a news report, but by the time you could actually do something about it, it was all over and done with. So now we have the responsibility and the privilege of being able to be involved in those people's lives. And man, I mean, just with the coronavirus, we've, you know, now everything is completely online. So, you know, you, you, can, you can send money immediately, you can get the message out there immediately. Um, and there's a spirituality that's different with people who trust God in poor circumstances, then there is a spirituality, uh, and, and and some of the people are going to think, well, you know, I'm not rich, or you know, I'm I'm an American. Yeah, you're you're rich, yeah. okay, compared to the rest of the world. So I'm just saying, those of us that have means and those that don't. So I have different problems spiritually speaking. Um, to deal with the wealth that God has given me and to deal with the problems that come with the wealth that, that, that God gives me. And, and those people have uh, the problems of poverty. So we can help them with the things that we're learning spiritually, and they can help us with the things that they're learning spiritually. And, and probably more likely, they're going to help us more than we're going to help them. True but story. but True we have story. yeah right. <laughs> I mean you know you just you, you, you even think back to the you know to the to the great African American slave leaders and you know the 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 Negro spirituals yeah. you know and the depth of some of that stuff with people that were literally treated like animals that had this depth of faith in God that no white person could have ever understood and probably still can't you know I mean those are the kinds of things um, the, the prayer lives of the of the people who don't have anybody but God to depend on for their prayer life is way different than those of us who have insurance and hopefully a Dave Ramsey emergency fund in the <laughs> bank. Okay. Yeah. I think one of the biggest challenges for churches in North America is being able to effectively partner around the world. Um, is for us to realize that we're not the center of the world and like 
that, that's, that's an issue for us <laughs> as a country. <laughs> yes, it is. Um, how can we take a posture of humility when in, in the global missions arena um, and, and build great partnerships? Yeah, uh, that's the Kay Warren answer. Mm-hmm. Um, when I was in Rwanda, Rick's wife Kay was explaining to me the whole medical side of the peace plan. And the reason they got involved over there in the first place was because of Kay's heart for AIDS, mm-hmm. HIV AIDS. And, and so they went over there and, and, and got involved. Um, Elizabeth, another friend of hers and mine, started explaining this to me. And she was a nurse. And, you know, so, so she's Kay's best friend. So she and Kay go over there and they want to solve this problem. And they get over there and they say, okay, they did the right thing. They got to Rwanda. They said, you know, they've had genocide, you know, 20 years earlier or whatever when they'd been there. Um, all, all the stuff that, that's going on, they're like, what can we help you do? And the pastors came to them and said, we need you to help us build a soccer field. And they talked about it and they said, um, you know, they went back to, you know, the motel and they're like, a soccer field? They don't need a soccer field. They need to, they need to solve the HIV AIDS crisis. They need to, you know, they need to, they, there's so many bigger things. But they made a decision that they were going to, they were going to honor the pastors because those pastors are the ones that know what they need. We can't be the white people yeah. coming in exactly. and rescuing them and saying, well, yeah. you guys are doing this, 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 and this wrong. And, and so what Kay and Elizabeth and the team did in Rwanda was they said, okay, and they built a soccer field. Um, and then they went back to the leaders. And they said, okay, what's next on the list? And they said, well, to be honest with you, thank you for the soccer field, but we were really just kind of testing you wow. to Ooh. see if you were listening. That's yeah. good. And um, obviously, we have a problem with HIV AIDS and um, how to get the, the medicine to the people and how to train the local people in the villages to be able to administer the medicine, um, as well as obviously the, 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 the reason that the, the crisis was rampant in the first place and, you know, the, the horrible things that were going on with, with the polygamy and the abuse of, of, of people and, and kids and women. We need your help with that. So that gave them the credibility to be able to go in and say, okay, we're, we're humbly coming to try to help you figure out how to do this. And, and it's just blown the place up. I mean, just blown it up. It'd been really funny if they'd asked, like, for the first thing to be like, we need a Taco Bell or something yeah, like that. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, they, I'm, I'm sure Rick Warren knows the owner, so <laughs> it would have been, been easy. Yes. <laughs> so, Tim, how does that, um, you know, your stories about everything in Rwanda and, and going there with Rick and Kay, how does that translate to us getting to Malawi? Uh me being in the wrong place at the wrong time. <laughs> I think it was the right place, but uh Casa Margarita, uh <laughs> over nachos. Um yeah, no. I mean Rick you know, is like the busiest Christian in on the planet, but every once in a while he goes over there and he tries to take pastors from other churches, just like just mm-hmm. like we do, or you know anybody that's working anywhere. And he invited us to go, and then then we came back, and you know we were we were in California for something, and we were sitting there having lunch, and and he literally said, "Hey, uh, the president of Malawi called me," and I'm just kind of like rolling my eyes, you know, because you know, that's 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 who he is. He, he wasn't name dropping; it did, that was just legitimate. And she wants us to take the country of Malawi. Uh, like like we took Rwanda, and 
wisely again. He said, we're not going to do that. Saddleback's not going to solve the global problems of the world. We want other churches to get involved. And so why don't you take it? And you know, Bill Brown was there with me, and, and you know, me Tell just, a joke. Yeah, well, I mean, <laughs> me, I joked that Bill thought he said Maui instead of Malawi, but uh, he didn't really. We, we knew what was going on. We didn't know what was involved. They didn't know what was involved because they had been in Rwanda for, at that point, at least 10 years, and they'd made a lot of mistakes, and they knew that. And, you know, they yeah. didn't know how they were going to help us move forward with it. But but it was a God. It was a God. Yes. You know, if, if we don't do this, it's going to it's going to be you know, a disappointment to God. So plus um, in my heart and, and, and our Kenya people know this or Kenya ministry was at the bottom of my heart, too, because and every other ministry that we've been involved in. I want to learn how to do it. I wanted to learn how to do it in Malawi so that we could help Kenya and so that we could help them figure it out. And I think those things are starting to happen uh, because I think it is a complete paradigm shift in global missions to work through the local churches. You know, I mean, yep. some some organizations do and some don't. And, and yet that is the hope of the world. Yeah. And for the context, um, there's now 26 international partner, partner churches that are paired with countries in Africa right. through, through Saddleback and through the peace plan. And now they've restarted that in Central America. Right. And Saddleback took country number one, which is Costa Rica. Mm-hmm. And now they're on you know, five, six countries there too, which is, which is fantastic. Yeah, it is. Yeah. It, I mean, and, and Rick has taken leadership in translating the Bible to the remaining languages that don't have the Bible translated in it. Absolutely. I don't know, I don't know how the guy... I don't know how he makes it, man. I mean, really, it's it's insane. He makes me tired, but um, but yeah, that that's the model. And from there, then you know, we've partnered with other churches in Malawi, and then yep. other churches are able to learn from us and hopefully go to other places. And you know, who knows who knows what the end game is. But I mean, Malawi was 16, 17 million people at the time we took it. I don't know where they're at now, but they were the third poorest country in Africa. So it kind of seemed, and, um, you know, the the president that asked Rick to take the country was Joyce Banda, who was, you know, was not Mm reelected and another president got in there. But the fact that, the, you know, the president was a Christian and a, and a wonderful human being that asked us to come in, that was great. This president, um, you know, I don't know, <laughs> I'll just leave that alone. <laughs> and then, you know, now there's an election. Uh, uh, hopefully we're going to have a president that's yeah. going to get in there that's going to be able to help us move to the next level. So it was both, you know, that Malawi was a, an opportunity and we had, you know, Sam and Mala that we knew. We had the person of peace, yeah. which is one of the keys to, to the peace plan. And is we to, have the best one. To go Seems in. We, we do. 100%. Yeah, 100%. And, and, you know, having all of that come together. And our one consultant, Joe, you know, that was kind of helping us was like, well, this is an absolute no-brainer, nice. you guys. I mean, it, it was kind of like low-hanging fruit for right. us, even though it was a third poorest country. Right. It was it was like, oh, we'll, t- we'll take Malawi, you know, because we don't, we don't want Zimbabwe or whatever. So, so I mean, you've been there how many times now? Three, four? Uh, yeah, something like that. Give, give, give Three, us a couple of reactions of things you saw or learned that, that are just beautiful about Malawi. Um, yeah, they told me before we went, you're going to love Malawi because it's the heart of Africa. You know, that's what they're known the as. The warm heart of Africa. The warm heart <laughs> of Africa. Yes. And, and 
And the ironic thing is, I mean, when you look at uh, the countries, I mean, the tribal thing is not about countries. It's about tribes. Mm -hmm. And the tribal warfares and the things that have gone on in Africa have been brutal, but largely they've kind of not been in Malawi. Somehow, even though these are all people, you know, from the same tribes and, and as, as their neighbors in a, in a different country, you know, in the Congo or, or whatever, it they're they don't react the same, and and they are really beautiful people, and and that doesn't mean they should get our help more than anything else. But I just I want the people to hear that you know this, um, you know, it was obviously a different feeling going into Nairobi than it was going into Lilongwe. Sure. I mean, you know, there there's the same kind of poverty, but as far as safety and, yeah. you know, hoping that the security was good and all that kind of stuff, it was it was a very different thing. And and um, and the 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 other thing was Malawi has done a good job with I think they've done a good job with what they've had. Mm -hmm. um, there's places where there's no electricity and no water and all those kinds of things, but it it feels like a more equitable poverty. I don't even know if that's the right term, but it feels like it's a more like even the poor people are willing to share with each other more than any other country that I've seen. Yeah. I mean there there was there would have there was never ever anything that made me think Oh, we've made a mistake. I mean, I just, I think this is the right place for us to be. Yeah. And what I love about the peace plan is, I mean, we're not going as, in as the great white hope and we're not going in with money forward. Like what we're going in right. to help align churches all head in the same direction mm -hmm. and, and work on stuff together. And I mean, Chris, jump in, but and like build relationships, build yeah. lots yeah. of relationships. Yeah. And it is a, it is such a beautiful two way thing. Like we learn stuff every single time we go. And even just in our relationship with Sam, um, Parkview is benefiting just as much as Malawi is, yeah. and I, yeah. I, I, I love that. Yep. Totally agree. So you, earlier you were talking, Tim, about just your life and how you were feeling that call to God from God to go on mission, and you were kind of like, I'll get there, I'll get there. Mm -hmm. So what do you say to, like, one of our Parkview people or, or anybody else who wants to join us on mission? What do you say to them as far as, like, maybe first steps? Well, uh, you know, I, I said, you know, the, the one life-changing moment was going to Kenya. I mean, the other one was taking my kids to Costa Rica. So I, I, I recognized very quickly that getting easier trips and shorter trips was going to be the key to getting people involved. And we were able to take, we've been able to take a ton of people on the, on the shorter term, easier flight, less dangerous kinds of of trips and and so anybody that was thinking about going i i've never ever had anybody come back and say man i wish i just would have gone on vacation you know i i, I should have just been at a beach drinking margaritas instead of going on this thing it is <clears throat> it's better to it's more better i don't know some some guy said it's better to give than receive right and and i mean you know it when you go on a trip and you do something, you're still going to have some time to go into a culture and see a culture that you didn't see and do something fun that would be on your bucket list probably along the way. But to be with people that, that don't speak your language or don't understand the world the same way that you understand the world, I keep coming back to this, but it's the same reason that black people need to be talking to cops right now. Totally. Okay. I mean, to understand the paradigm. And, and I, you know, I, I just, I, I talk about this this weekend in the sermon, 
um, it's it's the day of Pentecost where they were able to understand each other's languages and, and um, you're, you don't have to go on a missions trip to do that. You can go up and down your block and meet your neighbors, and that's what you ought to do first. But crash course in intersecting cultures will will put you on a fast track to spiritual growth and uh, an understanding of humanity and 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 God's imago day that exists in every individual person in a way that nothing else will. And and yeah, don't go don't go to Malawi for your first one. You know, go on one of our shorter trips. Um, but 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 take the vacation time and go do it. And as your kids get to be teenagers, whatever, um, man. I mean, I don't. You know, I'm grandpa now, so I can say <laughs> stuff. But you know, like the kids that that are growing up in this generation have opportunities that kids have never had before. And there's an easy way for them to become selfish and want the world to revolve around them. And nothing will change that paradigm like getting your kids or your family to see the rest of the world and see how everybody else lives. I mean, I really, I really think that was pivotal for us. I don't think my girls would have grown up being, you know, selfish jerks if they hadn't gone on missions trips. But, um, and they did that with our student ministries as well, you know, as well as going with me and everything else. But man, I mean, it was such a crazy cool bonding thing. And for your marriage, you know, you're, you're always, if, if you're married, you're always out there kind of trying to figure out, you know, where the balance of power is and everything. And then you go over there and you work together and you see your spouse in a light that you've never seen him before. And, um, you know, when it comes to the gospel and, and, and loving the people in our, in our church like we should, I mean, let's just be honest. It's not easy to get to know the people in a church this size, but mm-hmm. You know, you go sleep on a bunk with them somewhere. You're gonna you're gonna get to know them really fast and what they <laughs> smell like. So, we were just talking this week about like if, if there's one way to like merge two cultures and and bring understanding and conversation and and peace, it's to sit down at a dinner table with them in their home. Exactly. And like if we do that, Jesus modeled that exactly. Completely. If we do it here with our brothers and sisters here <clears throat> as well as our brothers and sisters in Malawi, like it, it, it shrinks the world down. I wish so we small. could take all the Black Lives Lead, uh, Black Lives Matter people and all the people that are, that are, that think they're not racist, but are. probably are, yes. and, and take them to the slums of Nairobi. Yeah. And, and, and let them walk through there together and let them have dinner together and let them understand things together and we we could solve the we could solve the world's problems if we just took all the politicians if we just load up a plane took all the politicians to a missions trip we would absolutely change the world yeah maybe that'll be on my list I think we I was gonna say I think we have a have a new agenda item yeah yeah I'm gonna work on that sign up for a trip coming up this August. <laughs> <laughs> So, Tim, we just want to say thank you so much for your leadership. Um, Life on Mission book, that's really helped a lot of people. I know just this weekend, uh, last week in our small group, one of the couples was saying just that. Like, I'm not ready. We're not ready. We have little kids. We're not ready to go to Africa. But what can we do locally? And so everything through your book has been really giving people ideas of what the small things that they can do. Mm -hmm with their neighbors, with people close to them. 
And so um, that's been a huge inspiration to so many. So thank you for that. Yeah. And thank you for your leadership. Yeah. We really appreciate you joining us and kicking this off. Oh, yeah. Thank you. It's been a blast, you guys. I'm, I'm, I say it again. I'm really proud. I can't wait for people to get to have a conversation with Sam and Mala and, you know, and Hear their story. Mary Kamau and, yeah. and, and all these people that I love so much and yeah. get to hear their story. Um, some of them are going to speak in accents that may be a little difficult <laughs> for you to understand, but we'll we'll help you with that. And it's beautiful. I love it, that. It, it is, is so beautiful. Yes. Oh, I'm, I'm excited for that. Awesome. Well, thank you, everybody. And join us next month as we welcome one of our global partners here for the conversation. And God bless. Yep. Yep.